Chapter thirty four of The Sword of Damocles by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Paula makes her choice. Good fortune, then, to make me blessed or cursed among men. Merchant of Venice. It was evening in the Sylvester mansion. Mr. Sylvester, who, according to his understanding with Paula, had been absent from his home all day, had just come in, and now stood in his library, waiting for the coming footfall that should decide whether the future held for him any promise of joy. He had never looked more worthy of a woman's regard than he did that night. A matter that had been troubling him for some time had just been satisfactorily disposed of, and not a shadow, so far as he knew, lay upon his business outlook. This naturally brightened his cheek, and lent a light to his eye. Then hope is no mean beautifier, and this he possessed, notwithstanding the disparity of years between himself and Paula. It was not, however, of sufficiently assured a nature to prevent him from starting at every sound from above, and flushing with quite a disagreeable sense of betrayal when the door opened and Bertram entered the room, instead of the gentle and exquisite being he had expected. Uncle, I am so full of happiness, I had to stop and bestow a portion of it upon you. Do you think any one could mistake the nature of Miss Stuyvesant's feelings, who saw her last night? Hardly, was the smiling reply. At all events, I have not felt like wasting much but pleasant sympathy upon you. Your pathway to happiness looks secure, my boy. His nephew gave him a wistful glance, but hid his thought, whatever it was. I am going to see her to-night, remarked he. I am afraid my love is something like a torrent that has once burst its barrier. It cannot rest until it has worked its channel and won its rightful repose. That is something the way with all love, returned his uncle. It may be dallied with while asleep, but once aroused, better meet a lion in his fury or a tempest in its rush. Are you going to test your hope tonight? The young man flushed. I cannot say. But in another moment gaily added, I only know that I am prepared for any emergency. Well, my boy, I wish you Godspeed. If ever a man has won a right to happiness, you are that man. And you shall enjoy it, too, if any word or action of mine can serve to advance it. Thank you, replied Bertram, and with a bright look around the apartment, prepared to take his leave. When I come back, he remarked, with a touch of that manly naivety to which I have before alluded, I hope I shall not find you alone. Ignoring this wish, which was re-echoed somewhat too deeply within his own breast for light expression, Mr. Sylvester accompanied his nephew to the front door. Let us see what kind of a night it is, observed he, stepping out upon the stoop. It is going to rain. So it is, returned Bertram, with a quick glance overhead but I shall not let such a little fuss as that deter me from fulfilling my engagement. And bestowing a hasty nod upon his uncle, he bounded down the step. Instantly, 
a man who was loitering along the walk in front of the house stopped as if struck by these simple words turned gave bertram a quick look and then with a sly glance back at the open door where mr sylvester still stood gazing at the lowering heavens set himself cautiously to follow him mr sylvester who was too much preoccupied to observe this suspicious action remained for a moment contemplating the sky then with an aimless glance down the avenue during which his eye undoubtedly fell upon bertram and the creeping shadow of a man behind him closed the door and returned to the library the sight of another's joy has the tendency to either unduly depress the spirits or greatly to elate them when paula came into the room a few minutes later it was to find mr sylvester awaiting her with an expression that was almost radiant it made her duty seem doubly hard and she came forward with the slow step of one who goes to meet or carry doom he saw and instantly the light died out of his face leaving it one blank of despair but controlling himself he took her cold hand in his and looking down upon her with a tender but veiled regard asked in those low and tremulous tones that exerted such an influence upon her do i see before me my affectionate and much to be cherished child or that still dearer object of love and worship which it shall be the delight of my life to render truly and deeply happy you see returned she after a moment of silent emotion a girl without father or brother to advise her who loves or believes she does a great and noble man but who is smitten with fear also she cannot tell why and trembles to take a step to which no loving and devoted friend has set the seal of his approval the clasp with which mr sylvester held her hand in his tightened for an instant with irrepressible emotion then slowly unloosed drawing back he surveyed her with eyes that slowly filled with a bitter comprehension of her meaning you are the only man continued she with a glance of humble entreaty that has ever stood to me for a moment in the light of a relation you have been a father to me in days gone by and to you it therefore seems most natural for me to appeal when a question comes up that either puzzles or distresses me mr sylvester you have offered me your love and the refuge of your home if you say that in your judgment the counsel of all true friends would be for me to accept this love then my hand is yours and with it my heart a heart that only hesitates because it would fain be sure it has the smile of heaven upon its every prompting paula the voice was so strange she looked up to see if it really was mr sylvester who spoke he had sunk back into a chair and had covered his face with his hands with a cry she moved towards him but he motioned her back condemned to be my own executioner he muttered placed on the rack and bid to turn the wheel 
that shall wrench my own sinews. My God, tis hard. She did not hear the words, but she saw the action. Slowly the blood left her cheek, and her hand fell upon her swelling breast with a despairing gesture that would have smitten Miss Belinda to the heart could she have seen it. I have asked too much, she whispered. With a start, Mr. Sylvester rose. Paula, said he, in a stern and different tone, is this fear of which you speak the offspring of your own instincts, or has it been engendered in your breast by the words of another? My Aunt Belinda is in my confidence, if it is she to whom you allude, rejoined she, meeting his glance fully and bravely. But from no lips but yours could any words proceed capable of affecting my estimate of you as the one best qualified to make me happy. Then it is my words alone that have awakened this doubt, this apprehension. I have not spoken of doubt, said she, but her eyelids fell. No, thank God, he passionately exclaimed. And yet you feel it, he went on more composedly. I have studied your face too long and closely not to understand it. She put out her hands in appeal, but for once it passed unheeded. Paula, said he, you must tell me just what that doubt is. I must know what is passing in your mind. You say you love me. He paused, and a tremble shook him from head to foot, but he went inexorably on. It is more than I had a right to expect, and God knows I am grateful for the precious and inestimable boon, far as it is above my deserts. But while loving me, you hesitate to give me your hand. Why? What is the name of the doubt that disturbs that pure breast and affects your choice? Tell me, I must know. You ask me to dissect my own heart, she cried, quivering under the torture of his glance. How can I? What do I know of its secret springs, or the terrors that disturb its even beatings? I cannot name my fear. It has no name. Or if it has... Oh, sir, she cried in a burst of passionate longing. Your life has been one of sorrow and disappointment. Grief has touched you close and you might well be the melancholy and sombre man that all behold. I do not shrink from grief. Say that the only shadow that lies across your dungeon door is that cast by the great and heart-rending sorrows of your life, and without question and without fear I enter that dungeon with you. The hand he raised stopped her. Paula, cried he, do you believe in repentance? The words struck her like a blow. Falling slowly back, she looked at him for an instant. Then her head sank on her breast. I know what your hatred of sin is, continued he. I have seen your whole form tremble at the thought of evil. Is your belief in the redeeming power of God as great as your recoil from the wrong that makes that redemption necessary. Quickly her head raised, 
a light fell on her brow and her lips moved in a vain effort to utter what her eyes unconsciously expressed paula i would be unworthy the name of a man if with the consciousness of possessing a dark and evil nature i strove by use of any hypocrisy or specious pretence at goodness to lure to my side one so exceptionally pure beautiful and high-minded the ravening wolf and the innocent lamb would be nothing to it neither would i for an instant be esteemed worthy of your regard if in this hour of my wooing there remained in my life the shadow of any latent wrong that might hereafter rise up and overwhelm you whatever of wrong has ever been committed by me and it is my punishment that i must acknowledge before your pure eyes that my soul is not spotless was done in the past and is known only to my own heart and the god who i reverently trust has long ago pardoned me the shadow is that of remorse not of fear and the evil one against my own soul rather than against the life or fortunes of other men paula such sins can be forgiven if one has a mind to comprehend the temptations that beset men in their early struggles i have never forgiven myself but he paused looked at her for an instant his hand clenched over his heart his whole noble form shaken by struggle then said forgiveness implies no promise paula you shall never link yourself to a man who has been obliged to bow his head in shame before you but by the mercy that informs that dear glance and trembling lip do you think you can ever grow to forgive me oh she cried with a burst of sobs violent as her grief and shame god be merciful to me as i am merciful to those who repent of their sins and do good and not evil all the remaining days of their life i thought you would forgive me murmured he looking down upon her as the miser eyes the gold that has slipped from his paralyzed hand him whom the hard-hearted sinner and the hypocrite despise god's dearest lambs regard with mercy i learned to revere god before i knew you paula but i learned to love him in the light of your gentleness and your trust rise up now and let me wipe away your tears my daughter she sprang up as if stung no no she cried not that i cannot bear that yet i must think i must know what all this means and she laid her hand upon her heart god surely does not give so much love for one's undoing if i were not destined to comfort a life so saddened he would have bequeathed me more pity and less the lifted head fell the word she would have uttered stirred her bosom but not her lips it was a trial to his strength but his firm man's heart did not waver you do comfort me said he from early morning to late night your presence is my healing and my help 
and will always be so whatever may befall a daughter can do much my paula she took a step back towards the door her eyes dark with unfathomable impulses flashing on him through the tears that hung thickly on her lashes is it for your own sake or for mine that you make use of that word said she he summoned up his courage met that searching glance with all its wild bewildering beauty and responded can you ask paula with a lift of her head that gave an almost queenly stateliness to her form she advanced a step and drawing a crumpled paper from her pocket said when i went to my room last night it was to read two letters one from yourself and one from mr ensign this is his and a manly and noble letter it is too but hearts have right to hearts and i was obliged to refuse his petition and with a reverent but inexorable hand she dropped the letter on the burning coals of the grate at their side and softly turned to leave the room paula with a bound the stern and hitherto forcibly repressed man leaped to her side my darling my life and with a wild uncontrollable impulse he caught her for one breathless moment to his heart then as suddenly released her and laying his hand in reverence on her brow said softly now go and pray little one and when you are quite calm an hour hence or a week hence whichever it may be come and tell me my fate as god and the angels reveal it to you and he smiled and she saw his smile and went out of the room softly as one who treadeth upon holy ground mr sylvester was considered by his friends and admirers as a proud man if a vote had been cast among those who knew him best as from what especial passion common to humanity he would soonest recoil it would have been unanimously pronounced shame and his own hand would have emphasized the judgment of his fellows but shame which is open to the gaze of the whole world differs from that which is sacred to the eyes of one human being and that the one who lies nearest the heart as paula's retreating footsteps died away on the stairs and he awoke to the full consciousness that his secret was shared by her whose love was his life and whose good opinion had been his incentive and his pride his first sensation was one of unmitigated anguish but his next strange to say that of a restful relief he had cast aside the cloak he had hugged so closely to his breast these many years and displayed to her shrinking gaze the fox that was gnawing at his vitals and spartan though he was the dew that had filled her loving eyes was balm to him and not only that he had won claim to the title of true man her regard if regard it remained was no longer an airy fabric built upon a plausible seeming but a firm structure with knowledge for its foundation i shall not live to whisper 
if she knew my whole life would she love me so well his first marriage had been so wholly uncongenial and devoid of sympathy that his greatest longing in connection with a fresh contract was to enjoy the full happiness of perfect union and mutual trust and though he could never have summoned up courage to take her into his confidence unsolicited now that it had been done he would not have it undone no not if by the doing he had lost her confidence and affection but something told him he had not lost it that out of the darkness and the shock of this very discovery a new and deeper love would spring which having its birth in human frailty and human repentance would gain in the actual what it lost in the ideal bringing to his weary suffering and yearning man's nature the honest help of a strong and loving sympathy growing trust and sweetest because wisest encouragement it was therefore with a growing sense of deep unfathomable comfort and a reverent thankfulness for the mercies of god that he sat by the fire idly watching the rise and fall of the golden flames above the fluttering ashes of his rival's letter and dreaming with a hallowing sense of his unworthiness upon the possible bliss of coming days happiness in its truest and most serene sense was so new to him it affected him like the presence of something strangely commanding he was awestruck before it and unconsciously bowed his head at its contemplation only his eyes betrayed the peace that comes with all great joy his eyes and perhaps the faint almost unearthly smile that flitted across his mouth disturbing its firm line and making his face for all its inevitable expression of melancholy one that his mother would have loved to look upon paula came now and then in a reverent yearning accent from between his lips and once a low thank god which showed that he was praying suddenly he rose a more human mood had set in and he felt the necessity of assuring himself that it was really he upon whom the dreary past had closed and a future of such possible brightness opened he walked about the room surveying the rich articles within it as the possible belongings of the beautiful woman he adored he stood and pictured her as coming into the door as his wife and before he realized what he was doing had planned certain changes he would make in his home to adapt it to the wants of her young and growing mind when with a strange suddenness the door upon which he was gazing flew back and bertram sylvester entered just as he had come from the street he looked so haggard so wild so little the picture of himself as he ventured forth a couple of hours before that mr sylvester started and forgetting his happiness in his alarm asked in a tone of dismay what has happened has miss stuyvesant bertrand's hand went up as if his uncle had touched him upon a festering wound don't gasped he and advancing to the table sat down and buried his face for a moment in his arms then rose 
and summoning up a certain manly dignity that became him well met mr sylvester's eye with forced calmness and inquired did you know there was a thief in our bank uncle edward End of chapter 34